This is the Roar and Peace Project coming to you from Studio 3 at the Third Space on Campus Corner. I'm Kate Bierman, mom to Ellie, 22 months, and five rescue animals, political scientist, policy wonk, and co-owner of four businesses with my fellow co-host, Sarita Wilson. And I am Sarita Wilson. I am almost 50 years old, uh, birther of four businesses, mother of two grown children, five rescue animals, and one errant husband. One of the weird things we've experienced as business owners, fairly high profile business owners, considering this is a fairly small community, is that people constantly come to us asking us for advice on businesses or to give them some feedback on their business idea. And it seems that some people believe that there is something special or different about business owners that they don't have, that there is something that sets apart someone who opens a business versus someone who just works for one. And so I wanted to wanted us to talk a little bit about that feeling of imposter syndrome, because that's something that I know we both have experienced at different points in this journey uh, with you starting Annie's in the first place and then us acquiring and starting new businesses together. And uh, this is something that I think is probably one of the biggest inhibiting factors to someone deciding to go into business for themselves. And I think that this is something that we can speak to being a little more close to that part of our lives than someone who has done a successful IPO or has a product that is a, considered a household name. I call this the magic beans. So people want to put some superpowers on what I've done through the years or some magic or some mystery thing that I have that they might not have as an excuse in their world to maybe not do the idea they have or the reason why they can't start this business or that business. And it's a gamut of not wanting to give up their paycheck from their current job or not having enough time or you name it, there's an excuse that they feel that I have not had, that I haven't experienced those same problems. Paycheck, I had to give up my paycheck to start a business. I had to swim really hard the whole time. So I guess my point is there are really no magic beans that I have that anybody else doesn't have or that Kate has that other people do not have. It's just resilience, hard work, staying nimble, recognizing our own talents or non-talent. I think a lot of it is a fear of the unknown. And that's something that I learned from you when we first became business partners is when you're when you're faced with an idea and all of the different components that go into that idea becoming a reality, it can feel really overwhelming and not even knowing where to start. You know you need money, but how do you get the money? How do you convince a bank that your idea is just as good as you think it is? And really, it's just having the idea, putting the plan together and putting your nose to the grindstone and being just fucking stubborn enough to see it through to the end. I think that's my middle name. Fucking stubborn. Sarita fucking stubborn Wilson. And I think breaking down the different components to a successful business launch was, like I said, one of the most valuable things that I learned from you. And I feel like our combined strengths are really being given the opportunity now to shine with our acquired drive through coffee business and the roastery slash coffee lab. 
Starting a business or buying one, for that matter, seems a lot less daunting when it's broken down into more manageable pieces. And then because each of us are so much better at different things than the other person, I feel like we get to accomplish a lot more that way. You're a lot more big picture, creative aesthetics. I'm way more systems oriented, less yelling and firing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that because of that, the task of buying a business or acquiring a business feels a lot less daunting to us than maybe it would to someone else. And I, I wanted to bring that up because I think one of the biggest things that's really difficult to quantify, though, is that it almost feels like an arrogant idea that if an entrepreneur builds it, buys it, invents it, that people will hand you money for the thing or the service or the coffee, and you won't go bankrupt doing it. And I'm sure that that's something that you faced the first day you opened the doors at Annie's and no one showed up. So yeah, back to 2009, when I opened Annie's, we had no customers. I didn't have any marketing dollars to spend. Um, I just had to kind of grind it out and do all the jobs myself. I was head plumber, air conditioning mechanic, and dog trainer, customer service, accounting, payroll, all of those things were in my, you know, I I just had to do them because I had zero money. So it was out of necessity and out of sheer determination and stubbornness that I made it to the point where a lot of businesses fail in the first five years and we did not. And then once we passed that, you know, we just kind of transitioned into how do we get bigger and how do we do more? I would also like to speak for a moment about me applying a dog number to everything I do. Like, I want new shoes. How many dogs does that take for me to take, for me to afford new shoes? Or we need an air conditioning unit replaced. How many dogs do we have to get above our current break-even dog point to afford that item? Okay, so pause there because I think you just kind of briefly touched on, I think, one of the biggest aspects of business development and growth that a lot of new business owners don't recognize right from the get, which is data. Data, 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 data. So let's talk about our past podcast, and I'll refer for a moment how I had been in a job that I hated and I wasn't well-suited for, but in that job, I learned this data-keeping skill set. From the minute we opened, even if I had to put a zero in the dog count column, then we would know that on that day in 2009, we had zero dogs. And from there, I was able to use that data to predict trends and... One of the things that I've always said is I know when to freak out and when not to freak out. And a lot of times the emotion, and it's fairly scary to have you go from 100 dogs to 80 dogs all of a sudden, you want to know why. Well, that's your normal trend, maybe. And so that quantifying what you're doing from the get-go helps you understand trends, helps you understand things that you need to know about your business that have zero to do with emotion. So that kind of goes back to what is this data good for? Just kind of as a summary, it's good to give you some reassurance as a business owner to know what the trends are when your slow seasons are or your slow hours are, because that seems to be more of what we look for in the coffee industry is what our slow hours are. And it can also help guide you when it comes to future plans for your business. Do you want to expand it? Are you planning to just have a paycheck until you're ready to retire and then you're just going to close the business? Do you're going to gift it to your children? Are you going to sell it? For any and all of those reasons, data is helpful to guide you where you need to go. 
and what you need in order to succeed. So that dollars per dog that Sarita mentioned was a calculus that she created to determine, you know, how much revenue are we getting per dog that's in the building? And one of the things that I tried to do when I came in was say, how do we not only increase the number of dogs per day, but how do we increase the dollars per dog per day? And it's the same with coffee and you know, the dollars per order, that there are two ways to grow your business. You can either increase your numbers, so increase your number of clients or number of dogs, or you can increase the dollar amount that you're getting out of every dog or every customer that comes in. So for all of those reasons, data is helpful. And if you want to expand your business and you need a loan for it, you need to prove that you have a solid business backing to do it. And so for all those reasons, data can help get you where you need to go. One of my number one pieces of advice to business owners is have a relationship with your bank. If you identify right away that your bank, for instance, a bank that I had a relationship with early on, when I asked for a business loan, they wanted to see my pay stub. That tells me they do not understand business. Um, so I changed banks and I got a local bank that has local decision makers that I was able to take my spreadsheet that had all this data. It had tick marks on days when I turned dogs away. So I was able to identify that 54 days a year we turn dogs away. You multiply that by the number of dogs you turned away and multiply that by your dollar per dog and tells you how much extra income you could have and whether or not you could pay a loan payment. And believe it or not, the bank listens to that. So I took this spreadsheet and my good looks and winning personality and my middle name, fucking stubborn, and uh, we got a loan to expand the business that was prior to Kate coming on board. And then we were able to do it again when Kate came on board because we also were able to prove again that we were turning dogs away and that we had somebody else in the organization that could help us wrangle the horses, so to speak. As we kind of mentioned earlier, Sarita is more big picture oriented and I'm more systems oriented. And that's something that as your business grows, you need to be aware of and be as proactive as possible. It's something that we're struggling with right now because we have all these moving pieces, we have all these businesses, but thankfully, we went through this last year when I came on board and tried to use the kennel management software that our doggy daycare had. And I'm trying to use this program and I'm struggling and I'm fighting and it's all locally hosted. So if a lightning strike hit the building and fried the servers, we would lose all of our customer data. And we had, and we, did. And we were getting dozens upon dozens and dozens of phone calls and emails every day to make boarding reservations and reserve daycare and people couldn't pay online. And there were so many shortcomings to this system. And I asked Sarita, I said, why, why do we have this system? And she said, because I want it. Well, I think it was actually because it was the one I found when I needed a new system. <laughs> and I also might have like grabbed the edges of everything and don't change anything and threw my body yeah. over my beloved software system. There was a lot of showing the whites of the eyes, like what are we, what there are you going to do? There was lots of fear. And so I did a lot of research and looked at online systems that provided customers a, a customer-facing portal. I basically wanted to make our doggy daycare act more like a hotel because people are used to making reservations online, making payments online, putting credit cards on file. They're used to that. And so if we could pair that with some extra features that could help our clients make their lives easier when it came to preparing for doggy daycare, like vaccination reminders when your vaccines are coming expired. All of these things we found in a system that is all online based. So I can I can approve daycare requests from my phone at 930 at night. 
I can check and see what our daily revenue is. If a customer has a problem and I need to look and see what their daycare history is, I can do that from anywhere. And so that really helped us a year ago when we were opening a second facility. And now that we have four facilities and are trying to schedule 29 employees, some doggy daycare employees are working at our coffee shop. Some of our coffee shop employees are interested in working at our doggy daycare. Uh, we do some of our scheduling on Excel sheets and post in a Facebook page and others are just done on paper in planners and left at the facility. So we're so starting to recognize. Let me pause you for a moment and say that a lot of small business owners, the mom and pops, especially in the service industry, kind of want to run the whole show, be in control of everything. They're resistant to change and they've pretty much created themselves a job that has no exit for them. I didn't want that. So I recognized that I had to let go of the control and bring somebody in that had different talents than myself. And that's really hard to do because you tend to want to bring in people that look like yourself, sound like yourself, and maybe align with a lot of your own ideas. But if I'd have done that three years ago, I would have a very pretty non-functioning facility. So I guess the point of this part of the conversation is systems are important, especially if you want to be bigger than maybe just a job, that you want to create something that's lasting and has and is sustainable and has a legacy, then you need to put in place systems. And always keep in mind what your end goal is. And that comes back to, are you just trying to have a job and a paycheck for as long as you want one? Or is this a business that you want to continue on? You know, if you were to conk your head and be in a coma tomorrow, can this can this business function without you? And if it can't, what can you put in place, whether it's systems or training employees to kind of be almost assistant manager type people, uh, but being able to keep in mind what you want your business to be and then being as proactive as possible is really going to help you do that. And what that also means is that it will help prevent failure because someone's always going to come up behind you. As we saw with doggy daycare, in 2009, Annie's was the only doggy daycare. And now there are a dozen facilities there, that you could go to. There are very similar businesses. And so we are struggling, not necessarily struggling. I think we're being successful, actually at meeting the market where the market wants us, being nimble and changing our business structure as is being demanded by our customers, doing things like putting an online system in place. We're the only ones to do that still now. Still now. And I'm sure because there's a lot of mom and pops in the area that they don't have a systems person yet. So having those systems in place where people can be in their pajamas and making doggy daycare appointments at 10 o'clock at night, that's a industry changer in our market. Recognizing that if you can always strive to be the best or the first in your community to do things a different way or monitor the national trends and bring something that's new and exciting to your community and be the first ones to do it. All of those things can help your business succeed in ways that it's hard to quantify. You always want to be at the top of your game. And having that in the forefront of your mind, whether it's working on systems, whether it's trying to figure out what the next trend is or how as a local brick and mortar doggy daycare do you combat the other industry disruptors like Wagon Rover that are trying to come in and take some of your market share in a very different way because they don't have the same overhead that you do but they also don't provide their clients with the same protections that a local company can. And can we for a moment bring this to the city council level? 
yeah. where we often get citizens and business owners in the community complaining about change. I mean, change. That's really all I would say anecdotally. 80% of most of the complaints I get are about change. Why are you removing that building? Why are you closing this street? Why are you as a city council doing this policy or that policy because it's going to affect my business instead of, for instance, a local guitar shop that's upset about us closing a street to have a music festival that brings 40,000 people in front of that guitar shop store, but that guitar shop owner cannot figure out how to make money off of that. That's really not a city council issue. That's an I'm resistant to change issue. And I think that happens a lot of times in cities and in um, as we as policymakers. Um, I know that we recently talked about short-term rentals in our policymaking role and how that actually is an industry disruptor to hotels and more traditional bed and breakfast type situations. And I think that as business owners having to focus on being as disruptive or ahead of the game as possible, it makes us a different type of policymaker than someone who doesn't have to carry that perspective or that framing with them all the time. I'm as a business owner, I'm constantly going to different coffee shops and tasting their product or researching doggy daycares in other parts of the state, but also other parts of the country to see what they're doing and what inspiration I can draw from that. And so I think that's made me a little less averse to different types of policymaking or looking at issues in a new way or questioning the traditional way of doing things to make sure that we're doing something better. So back kind of to your short-term rental argument that, you know, the the question is maybe not how do we give parity to hotels and bed and breakfasts when it comes to short-term rentals, but maybe we also need to be looking at the rules and regulations that govern bed and breakfasts and hotels. That maybe those, those are outdated. antiquated, yeah. Maybe those need to be different and and less strict or stringent because of changes in technology or the way we look at things. So I think that the way we have engaged with our businesses, trying to be as proactive and ahead of the curve as possible, has also really affected and influenced our policymaking at the local level as well, hopefully to the benefit of all businesses in Norman. Absolutely. I, I think that anytime we consider changing a street, closing a street, even keep the amount of construction that happens in our city is important and can be, for instance, we had a, a TIF here in our, our city that... Tax increment financing district. For those who may not be plugged into what we're dealing with locally. Yeah. So that basically, I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on that, but it gave incentives to a certain area of town to be developed over other areas. And it created a situation where businesses were struggling in our city. So we have to be very careful in those instances. And what we need to focus on at the local level is kind of that balance because Again, not trying to get too local with our with our discussion here, uh, but these mechanisms were intended to be used in areas that were struggling to help actually bolster businesses in ways that a city can be incredibly influential. You know, you can be you could be as proactive or as creative a business owner as you can. But if the city is not maintaining the roadways outside mm -hmm. of your property or the alleyways or approving parking structures in a way that makes sense for your community, it really can be a struggle. So 
it's important for us as policymakers to ensure that we're looking at businesses and uh, incentive programs in the right way. When I first opened Annie's, they closed the road in front of us. There were other ways to the business, but I put on, this is how I got really good at Facebook, is I every day put the map on Facebook and poked people and said, hey, here's how you get to us today. And if you need me to come get your dog, I totally will. Because we weren't even something that people were in a habit of doing yet. And they were making a decision as to whether or not they wanted to spend that extra money. Doggy daycare is a luxury item. Um, I think we've effectively transitioned it to more of a need, but it was a want in the early years. And so people definitely would weigh out whether or not it was easy to get to us as part of their decision making. I want to have a full episode on social media because I love it. I hate it. I'm not sure anyone can argue it's not necessary, but it takes so much time. And it's something that's been a pretty constant frustration to me as a business owner to find time to do it properly. But the impact that can have on your business, as Sarita mentioned, can be really strong. But I think that one of the reasons we've been able to weather road closures outside of a brand new Annie's business or driveway closures in (laughs) front of our brand new acquired drive-through coffee shop is that the more you engage in your community, whether it's on social media or through nonprofits or through city council or even just being the kinds of businesses that almost always say, yes to any kind of donation opportunity. We really want to support and engage with our community. And I know Sarita had been doing that even long before we both got on city council through Annie's Rescue Foundation, because I'm a little surprised that more businesses don't do that. Or just in just the engagement with the community. I mean, you, you cannot be a business without the participation from your community. And the two industries that we're in, it is like crickets from the other businesses when it comes to donation opportunities or sponsorship requests. I hardly ever see any of the names of our competitors on any of the same things that we engage in or any of the same you know event opportunities that we participate in. It's just, it's a little surprising to me. I agree with that. You know, the dog industry has been a, a, a trust industry. A reputation is probably the most valuable thing we have. Caring for nonverbal family members. Absolutely. People make up stories in their head about what happened while their dog was away. So we put cameras in so they could actually see what happened when, you know, when they're away from their dog. I mean, so I, that's half of our battle is making sure people understand what's going on at our facility, who we are, what kind of people we are. So being an open book for me, which is kind of my nature actually was very beneficial to this and just telling the story I didn't even get too bogged down with the proper way to do before Kate Beerman came along I just did the storytelling in my voice and I didn't necessarily make any big heroic efforts towards social media and I think that voice that you have has been critical to the growth of Annie's social media the way you are able to convey information and knowledge that we as as a business carry, you do it in a very calm but authoritative way, which is also not something that any of our competitors do. We are very keen on sharing our dog knowledge and our coffee knowledge. You know, that's why we... And our city knowledge. And our city knowledge. And our collaborative female relationship (laughs) knowledge. And now our... And now with our podcast, even more knowledge will be shared with you. But I really think that that is one of the reasons why we've been able to be so successful. That's why we had a wildly successful summer with our kids camps. 
And what no other entity that has the kind of dog knowledge that we have does anything like that. We're going to be implementing similar opportunities with the Roastery and Coffee Lab because none of the other coffee shops are sharing any of their knowledge about coffee. And that's really important. If you want people to drink your product, you want to tell them that your product is the best and you want to be able to tell them why. And you want them to know what they're doing to have the knowledge base. Right. And so we, we've figured out ways to do that. We're continuing to figure out ways to do that. And I would strongly encourage anyone who is looking at opening a business or is trying to figure out how to make their business more successful to start thinking along those lines. How do you engage with your community? How do you share the knowledge that you have? All of those things makes your business in your field of competitors rise to the top. Absolutely. I want to get to this segment before we run out of Sarita time. Sarita has a segment. Well, it's a it's a segment. Success or fail? Ooh, okay. Success or fail. This okay. one, This one's always really interesting because as a business owner, I feel like there are so many opportunities for success or failure, even just in our day-to-day operation. And I feel like we had a pretty good one recently, which was both a success and a fail. So, so the fail was yelling and firing. The yelling and, and the firing. And we won't go through all the weeds of that. You'll have to listen to episode one to hear the whole story. However... There was yelling, there was firing, slash employee was quitting. Then they got fired. I think the point <laughs> is that it was done on an emotional level. Right. That that was the fail. It wasn't so It who, wasn't that the firing was the fail. It was doing it in an emotional way, which is something neither of us like to do. We neither like, we don't like to make decisions when we're overly emotional. And that was an overly emotional time. And I'm the overly emotional one 95% of the time. Yes. But that's okay. But the success, we had an opportunity with that same issue to have a business success. And that was when the fired slash quit employee told us that they were not all that happy in the job that they found themselves afterwards. They asked if they could come back. And the very overly emotional me said, I'm going to have to think about that. And went and talked to my other leadership members, most importantly, my business partner, and came to my own conclusion that rehiring that person would not be good for our business. So I took the emotion out of it. I do recognize, I I will say, just to give you a little bit of credit, I do recognize that it can be a really attractive offer when we're facing a really, really big boarding weekend like we have coming up with OU Texas. It's a huge boarding weekend for us. It can be a really attractive thought to bring in someone who is already trained instead of the unknown quantity that so can that come was from, the value yeah yeah that can someone brand new is a little know, like the devil though <laughs> like here here's a something easy for your business but then you have to really consider all the implications we have more than two dozen other employees and the impact on them to see someone who acted in a way that we do not tolerate from our employees that if we allowed them to come back what does that say to our two dozen other employees who did not walk off their shift who have acted the way we have told them we need them to act and so recognizing what bringing this person back would mean to the rest of our team and what it would say to the rest of our team, put it in a different frame for us and, and led us to the conclusion that it, that wasn't the right decision for us. And I consider that a success because so, it we could have just plowed through and told everyone to just deal with it. And maybe they would have, maybe they wouldn't have. But I think we did. I think we did the right thing. So in recap, there's no magic beans. Stubbornness and hard work gets you a lot further than you think. Data, data, data. Lots of data. Systems. Get systems in place as soon as you can. And take the emotion out of decision making. 
the fail, emotionally firing somebody, the success, rationally considering a decision whether or not you want to employ somebody. Now, can we do word of, word of the day? <gasps> word of the day! Word of the Let's day! This was my idea. I love words, weirdly. And my new my word that's been coming out of my brain in the mornings when I wake up, I just recently heard and maybe was aware of. It's vexillology. Vexillology, which is the study and history of flags. What's your word of the day, Kate Brimmon? So my word of the day is self-care. And I chose this word because we are experiencing what I would like to call here in Oklahoma Braxton Hicks fall. It feels like fall. <laughs> Fake fall. It it sounds like fall. Fake news. It's a little fall, it's but fall. we all we summer. all know. We all summer. know that Oklahoma is just gonna bring back <laughs> summer for third summer before we before we actually get into fall. But this is the time of year that I tend to get sick and I kind of flirted with sickness at the end of last week and, and then handed it over to Sarita. And so we've also we've been extremely busy since we acquired since we acquired our coffee shop and then opened the roastery. I don't think either of us have really had a full day where we haven't had to do something business related. So between that and the changing of the seasons and flirting with an upper respiratory illness, I reminded myself yesterday that I needed to take the time to do some self-care. And so I scheduled myself a massage for this afternoon. Shut Not up. a long one. A Shut up. You got your nails done. Oh, yeah, that's true. I do. So we both do self-care in our own way. So I just wanted to use that as my word of the day to remind everyone out there, whether you own a business or not, self-care is really important. And taking the time to do something for yourself, for your own mental health and your own physical health is really important. Take care of yourself. And find us at RoarAndPeaceProject.com. You can also email us at RoarAndPeaceProject at gmail.com. And our social media sites will be going live as soon as we have a logo. So we're very excited about everything we have in store. We have more topics to come. And please send us your feedback if you have any. And we'll see you next time.